0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card,
1: right this way,
0: it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You deserve a moment to yourself every
0: single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandy's can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome back. Welcome to the 2024 first episode of the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci, and Joe Madden. Joe, happy New Year, happy 2024.
1: Thank you, Tommy. Same back at you. I trust everything as well. I've driven down the coast. I'm setting up in Tampa for the next four months and looking forward to it. Hey,
3: as long as we're talking about New Year's, Joe, Resolutions.
1: What's your position on New Year's
3: resolutions?
1: Um, I'm into just making one or two possibly. Um, for instance, this the, for me right now, it's to be more consistent with my driver. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to be very shallow about Oh, speaking of shallow, i love to shallow the club better. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I would uh, – my resolution is that. I mean, other parts. I don't want to eat a whole lot of sugar anymore. Had too much sugar. My my, my sister made too many great cookies over Christmas. But um, yeah, uh, resolutions. Everybody wants to get in better shape. I get it. We're all going to try to do that. Uh, you know, you're going to stop drinking for a month. I guess that's a big thing these days. But very superficially, mine is to become a better driver of the golf ball.
3: I love it. I'll sign me up for that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to just split the fairway and know when I stand on that tee that uh, I'm not going to have to go looking for my ball when I hit it. That's right. If I can do that two-thirds of the time, Solid. I'll be happy.
1: Yep, I'm in.
3: All right, we're talking about resolutions, and a lot of people also, as you say, you know, they, they want to get back into the gym. I, I, I thought you had a great idea about this 2024 baseball season, and it involves the L.A. Dodgers. Okay. Because they're the it team right now, Joe. And yeah. the resolution for every team now is, how do we catch up to the Dodgers? I, mean, I can't recall. Maybe it was the 1999 Yankees. The last time a team is going to go into a baseball season as such a heavy favorite to be the best team in baseball. And I remember back then with uh, SI, we were trying to pick different teams each year. And this was after the Yankees obviously had that great team in 98. Uh, it might've been 2000. They won 99, of course, and picking our, preseason picks that year, either 99 or 2000, I think the cover was something was, was like, why fight it? You know, we were f- trying to find reasons to pick other teams and the Yankees just slapped you in the face that, yeah, we're that good. You know, don't try to look for a reason. I think the Dodgers are in that category, but Joe, you had a great idea. Um, And that is exploring a way to beat the Dodgers because on paper, let's face it, they're the chalk going into 2024. And I realized there's a long way to go in this post season or off season. Still a lot of free agents out there. Um, But let me start with that, Joe. You you had this idea. What's on your mind about the Dodgers and how they might be gettable in 2024?
1: Well, like you're talking about there, everybody, I think, possibly is going to go after conventional means. I mean, they are who they are. They're very good up and down the lineup. They're very good. They're going to be very good on the mound and the bullpen. They have this great lineage of success um, tradition. They got everything on their side. Great ballpark. Now they got show. Uh, the other young pitcher from Japan's there too, they're on paper unbeatable. So for me, uh, when I look at that, uh, the last thing I want to do is try to beat them at their own game. That's the last thing I want to try to do. Cause if you're going to go through the the normal paces and try to design your team and you here comes the game and the series and you're going to set up your, 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 uh, pregame series and talk about it and break them down like you do everybody else. And then you go out there and attempt to play the same game that they are. It's, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, quite frankly, and um, the best I could describe it, I think, would be kind of like uh, the race. We were just talking about the race before we went on the air in 2006, 7, eight, whatever. We had to de- define or develop our own way of playing at that time to beat the Yankees and the Red Sox within the AL East. Everybody was talking about, well, the Rays need to get out of the AL East. They need to go to another division to be successful. I thought, no way! This is the best way for us to get better faster because we're playing the better teams in their venues. Having said all that, uh, I'm saying it's almost like a guerrilla baseball fair, like guerrilla warfare. You cannot go with conventional means. You got to attack them. You got You got to do different things. You got to be unpredictable. You got to play a game that really puts a lot of stress and pressure on them. You got to give them more to think about. And again, just play a complete game of baseball. If you're going to go up there and try to bludgeon with them. It's not going to happen. Uh, four games, three-game series, four-game series, you're going to lose a lot of them. Two to one, sometimes three to zero, and definitely three to ones. So I would really nurture a method of play uh, in order to, to not only uh, advance within the, uh, your division during the season, but when you get to the to the playoffs, i.e. Arizona Diamondbacks. The only reason, the biggest or the best reason, uh, I shouldn't say the only one, that they got as deeply as they did is because they attacked it from a different angle to the point where they eventually wore down the, the Phillies in Philadelphia, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, so they, I think they gave us a hint or a look at what it could look like moving forward, and especially when you play, like I said, a team like the Dodgers. I'm curious, uh, when, it's, when it comes to Bear, when the Diamondbacks actually now with confidence and a year of uh, playoff baseball under their belt, a World Series under their belt, what this looks like now. When they play like the Dodgers where the intimidation factor is going to be uh, greatly lessened. So, yeah, um, uh, at this point, it's more than ever, and I keep espousing this, but develop your own way of doing things, your own method of doing things. The Dodgers are showing you what they're going to do and how they're going to do it, and you're not going to compete with that financially. So compete with them on the field somehow. Beat them, beat them at the game itself. Beat the game through execution and, um, and surprise. That's, that would be my, my method.
3: I love that philosophy, Joe. And I I go back to something I learned. My dad was a high school football and baseball coach. And football teams were just awesome, right? There was no way you were beating our team if you tried to play us straight up. And I think that's true today. If you see a major college football matchup, one team is clearly better than the other. If you try to play the superior team straight up, you're going to lose. You better go at it in a very different way. That doesn't mean you throw caution to the wind. You do things that are stupid, but you you take a few more chances. You come up with different game plans. I think the same applies in baseball in a five or seven game series. If you want to play the Dodgers straight up, I'm with you, Joe. You're not going to beat them. Now, last year, they went into the postseason against Arizona with a rotation of Kershaw, Bobby Miller, and Lance Lynn. Kershaw obviously had some physical issues, just wound up having shoulder surgery, not the same pitcher. I mean, this year on paper, they would go Walker Buehler, Yashinobu Yamamoto, Tyler Glasnow. I mean, and besides, now you've got Otani in the lineup. I mean, they're just absolutely loaded. So you mentioned the Diamondbacks. They took out the Dodgers in three games last year. How did they do it? Well, they held Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman to one hit and 21 times at bat. How did they do that? Brent Strom. Brent Strom is a difference maker. He's the pitching coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it gets back to what you are saying, Joe, about coming in with a plan and doing something that's a little bit different. And again, playing a team straight up, you're going to lose. The Diamondbacks, this was amazing to me because my first thought was, well, they, they probably threw him a lot of spin, changed speeds a lot. They did the exact opposite. Their percentage of fastballs, I'm, I'm not using cutters here. I'm talking about four seamers and two seamers went up from 45% to 52% against the Dodgers. They swept the Dodgers in three games, throwing 52% fastballs. And the Dodgers hit a buck seventy off their heaters. And here's the other thing, Joe. First pitches in that series, three-game series, the Diamondbacks threw a strike 69% of the time. So that's how you win when you're the lesser team. In this case... It was attack the strike zone with quality strikes. I'm not talking about laying the ball over the center of the plate. I'm talking about attacking, establishing count leverage early, first pitch strikes. We all know how important that is. And don't run away from your fastball as long as you can locate it and you mix it up. And the Diamondbacks have a bunch of pitchers that throw both four and two seamers, so it's not like it's the same pitch coming in. Uh, I just love that approach. It carried throughout the postseason. I think Brent Strom is one of those guys as a pitching coach who is a difference maker? And people talk a lot about, and it bothers me, Joe, the postseason. Like the, the team with the best record is somehow is supposed to win the World Series. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. what sports is these days. You know, it's about matchups once you get to the postseason. And I'm all about that. I'm fine with that. You know, we wouldn't have a postseason if it was just, you know, giving the team with the best record the championship. You've got to earn it in the postseason. And as much as we talk about inequities of payroll, the great equalizer is the postseason and the short series.
1: We were talking about uh, just briefly with the fastball. There was a game against the uh, Tigers here in town. Uh, James Shields was pitching. And Shields, he uh, really did play with this fastball well because he had a great changeup. And I loved when he started out, uh, out with this fastball. Didn't show the off speed too early. But anyway, the Tigers jumped them early. Got, I don't know, three runs maybe in the first inning uh, on his fastball. And he came back in the dugout. He's talking about, I got to change this. I got to change this. I got to start using more off-speed pitches. I said, James, no, don't do that, please. I said, just throw your fastball in a better spot. Just get your fastball to a better spot. Stay with your game plan. And if you start locating better, all this other stuff's going to come to play for you. And eventually, I wish I could pinpoint the game exactly, but he did. He settled in and he won the game but after getting his butt kicked in the first inning because it was a poorly located fastball. Uh, I still believe the best pitch in baseball is the well-located fastball, the commanded fastball. Uh, Wherever that is, you might want it to be based on what you know of that pitcher, maybe your individual strengths, and then everything should play off of that because it's really devolved into so much breaking ball over the last several years, as you know and I know. I mean, I remember with the Cubbies, uh, we got beat up in the playoffs because the other teams went to so many – off-speed versus us, that we had a really hard time matching up with the off-speed and they got off their fastball. But I think over a period of time, over the course of time, a well-located, commanded fastball is still going to always be the best pitch. And you have to have a pitching coach like Brent Strom that might be able to look beyond some of the noise and have these guys understand that. And then eventually, uh, Bob's right, well, here's we, we got this particular uh, outcome based on the fact that, uh, no, no, no. Stay with your fastball. Just look, let's just locate it a little bit better. And just quickly, too, um, talked about like the different, uh, the chances, the opportunities you're trying to take in a game when you're possibly on paper, not as good as the other side. Momentum, you got to gain momentum via chances that you take. Um, when you take a chance, or you try something differently or execute in a way that the other team's not capable or does not do. Wow. It can really turn into a great advantage in that game. And, uh, IE, the safety squeeze. We've talked about this in the past, something that Zim gave to me, but I know there were games that we gained momentum, carried the game through and win games just based on a bunt of the first base side. We took a chance on that. And part of the chances that run at third base getting down the line more. So you gain momentum, uh, via taking chances or bringing, uh, Rizzo in the slot between the mound and the first and the first base bag to cover the bunt versus the pitcher in a dead sacrifice bunt situation. We took a chance. Mm -hmm. We complete double plays and all of a sudden, wow, here comes a a wave of momentum based on taking chances. Your players always respond to that like a 1,000% of the time. You go first to third. You really push the envelope. You're safe. Everybody goes nuts in the dugout. You took a chance. You gain momentum. I don't know that that's spoken about enough. And, again, that's the guerrilla kind of game I'm looking for to beat the Dodgers. Yeah, you're gonna to have to. You're gonna make mistakes in a sense sometimes you're gonna look bad once in a while because you gotta push it, push it, push it. And if you do that, the the, the one time and that it really works, all of a sudden you're gonna create doubt on the other side. I don't care how good they are. I don't care. I I know what their meetings are gonna be like before the game. And as a human being, baseball player on the field, when you're being pushed, pushed, pushed all the time, and all of a sudden you do make a mistake. Uh, it's going to come back and benefit you somehow the team that's doing the pushing. So that's what I, that's what I'm talking about. You're going to gain momentum via chances. And that's pretty much what you're talking about there.
3: Yeah. And you know how important and powerful momentum can be in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I saw it happen yep. last year with Texas. You know, they lose on the last day of the season and instead of having a first round bye, they have to fly to Tampa to play the team with the best record at home in the American league. And we all know what happens. They, they, They went the entire month in the postseason undefeated on the road, 11 and Oh, and you can, if you were around as I were you around the Texas Rangers, you felt that momentum. That team was coming to the ballpark expecting to win games. It was a bonding experience to, to have to go on the road as much as they did. But once you get through those first couple of wins, man, it just kept building on itself. So, Thinking about the postseason, Joe, we've talked about this a lot. It's it's a very different animal. And we sit here today, we make evaluations about teams based on what we think they're going to be over 162 games. Uh, But the more I see it, especially with the expanded postseason, the more I really believe it is a completely different season when it comes to who's going to win the World Series. You want to tell me the Dodgers are the best team in baseball? No argument. I got you there. They're probably going to win 105 or more in 2024. Do I think they're a lock to win the World Series? No. Put it this way. They've been the best team for a while now. It, certainly Atlanta can, can challenge them in that regard. But last three years, the Dodgers in the postseason are 7-12. and 12. Their last six postseason games, they're 0-6, scoring 13 runs. Does that make them a bad team? No. It's just what happens in the postseason environment. You get up against a team that can game plan for you. And uh, I, you know, I do think the Dodgers can be picked off in the postseason. I, and I don't want to say easily, Joe, I don't want to underestimate it, Right. but I, sure. I, I'm not handing them the trophy here in January.
1: Me neither. Absolutely not. I mean, I was involved with the Cubs team in 2016 where we did wire to wire it. If you remember before that season, I was in the uh, winter meetings and um, shoot, I think it might've been Vegas. I'm not sure where it was at. However, um. David, you know, you do that little scrum and I came up with the line just extemporaneously, uh, to embrace the target. Uh, cause that's what you got to do. And that's what we did do. Uh, let's go, come on, bring it to us. Uh, you want pressure, you want expectations, you want all this stuff. Um, and that's, that was a big part of that cub team being successful. But then there's other years where we were, we came up a little bit short, not so much in 15 cause nobody expected it of us, but in 17, uh, that's the third year in a row in the NLCS. And that's 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 really close, obviously, to winning three World Series in a row. That's pretty good stuff. But when you lose in a situation like that in 17, and all of a sudden, uh, people became disappointed. And I, I didn't quite understand that because, again, you look at how we got there, all the different uh, circumstances we had to survive to get there, and we did. And you play well, and then you lose at the end, and then – um, you're not so good anymore. And then of course in 17 or 18, we lose in the um, wild card game and, no, and we're no good anymore. I mean, I, that, it's tough, man. It's hard. It's hard to win like that on an annual basis. It's very difficult. Uh, I.e. The, the Astros, that's what makes them even more impressive. Uh, it's almost like they got, um, you know, the old Yankee group involved with Jeter and his group. They got maybe a, a dash of a Michael Jordan, whatever in there too, or a, Larry Berner or Tom Brady, they got this thing, man, that th- what they've done is really impressive. The fact that they've gotten that far annually, done that well annually, that's pretty impressive, man. That's really impressive. But overarching point is that it's not easy to do. And I sometimes, you know, I now that I'm doing this, a little bit more you read and you listen, um, and there's a lot of criticism involved to the group that doesn't, that's expected to. But uh, last year I think the Diamondbacks showed exactly – uh, how you get to the World Series in today's game, uh, especially how you turn around, what, 84-win season. Uh, you can't do it in conventional ways.
3: Yeah, and as you know, Joe, and you live this in Chicago, expectations can be weighty. Now, you had a good group as far as handling those kind of expectations, mm-hmm. but uh, a team like the Padres last yep. year, they freely admit, you know, after getting to the NLCS against the, the Phillies, um, their work, and rightly so expectations about that being a world series team in 2023, they came far short. And if you talk to the Padres people, they'll tell you it began with trying to live up to expectations, going to spring training with a different mindset and feeling the pressure, if you will, uh, and just never got it together. Never really played as a unit. Um, listen, we know the Dodgers can hit right last year. They were second in the major leagues in runs per game. Only the Braves were better. Uh, they're getting Gavin Lux back. And they basically have replaced J.D. Martinez. What a nice year for them, by the way, with Shohei Otani, who's one of the best two or three hitters in baseball, if not the best. So we know they're going to score runs. What about their pitching? After this break, I want to ask Joe about their pitching, especially their starting pitching, their philosophy, and whether Yamamoto is going to be one of the best pitchers on the planet, as he was in Japan.
4: With BetterHelp, visit BetterHelp.com/slash-bookofjo today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel com slash bookofjo
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge, or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum! And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun, such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
3: All right, Joe, I talked about pitching in. I still have to remind people, man, we're we're not in the 1960s anymore. No one's throwing 200 innings. No one's throwing 250 innings. No one is throwing complete games. So stop evaluating starting pitchers on how deep they go in the games. Would I like to see the game go back to that? Absolutely. But we're not there, Okay. Average start in the postseason last year was five and two-thirds innings, right? More, actually, almost three-quarters of the starts in the postseason were less than six innings. It's basically give me 18 to 22 outs. That's what a manager is looking for, and even that's a lot. Um, and i will take a le- little bit less, but basically give me 18 outs as a starting pitcher. Look at the Dodgers, Joe. They've been doing this for years, and they have more wins than anybody since Dave Roberts took over that team as the manager. In the last eight seasons, they've had only nine starting pitchers who were qualified for the ERA title. That means one inning for every game played. So essentially 162 innings. Only nine starting pitchers in eight years for a team with the best record in baseball. It's a gig economy, folks. People carve it up. They apportion it up. And I look at the Dodgers this coming year, Joe, and I see Yamamoto coming over. We know over in Japan, and you went through this with Shohei, they're pitching on the sixth or seventh day. They're, they're getting a longer season. They're getting more travel. They're getting different baseball. Uh, don't expect Yamamoto to be throwing up 200 innings. That's not happening. You have Walker Bueller coming back off Tommy John surgery. So, again, are they going to push him to 200 innings? No. You've got Tyler Glass now, who basically is you know never thrown 200 innings or anything really close to it. Um, So you're going to say the same thing with the Dodgers. A very good pitching staff, but they're going to apportion it up. They're going to pitch guys on the sixth and seventh day, uh, and they're going to take guys out of the games preemptively until make sure they get them, if they can, to October healthy. Um, Joe, I don't necessarily have to like that, but that's where the game is at now.
1: I'm with you. And uh, having said all that, and you're right on the money, uh, that's what Andrew and the boys do well, depth. Uh, They bring up guys with long names with a bunch of – consonants and no vowels that you've never heard of before that pitch pitch well all the time or play well all the time i don't i don't know the depth uh depth specifically because i don't really follow their minor league system but i'm here to tell you that's exactly the way they want it glass now glass now no he's there, there's no way to check that box and have any idea what he's going to do next year in regards to number of innings pitched. he just he just hasn't uh to this point the guy's Really gone a long way, uh, both um, you know, as st- in stature and financially. Just because he's got such a great arm, and then when he does pitch, it's so oppressively good that he's gotten to this point without really having done a whole lot uh, historically uh, compared to a lot of other great pitchers in the major leagues. But they're good with that. I'm good with that. That's what Andrew and the boys would say. They want uh, Yamamoto. I think this guy's going to be outstanding. Quite frankly, I, I you know what I've seen on video. And I love what I see on video. I know he's not tall, but I, I love where the ball comes out of his his shoulder. I think he's hard to pick up. And then uh, you've got these pitches that all, as they say, tunnel out of the same spot. Um, I think he's got great confidence. I think this guy's going to be unbelievably good. Bueller's the key. If he can get back and be well. Uh, but beyond all that, Glasnell, this 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 core of others that they have, and, I'm, and I know they have this core that they've already um, – have probably have them listed on a board somewhere who's going to be able to be uh, ready in April, May, maybe June. And then here comes July, August, September, which group are we expecting to be ready at that time? Who's going to be the guy that's going to make this impact in August, September for us uh, that we're going to hold back, hold back, hold back to the very end? Uh, they got it. They got, they got it uh, laid out. They got it wired. They got the numbers down there. They know exactly what to expect from these starters, and they're not going to expect anything more. I don't think you're going to see – Glasnow could be pitching probably a no-hitter going into the seventh. And if he's got like 97 pitches, he's going to be out. There's going to be no kind of a warm fuzzy there where uh, you're going to let this guy – give this guy an opportunity to pitch a no-hitter at the expense of not being there to pitch for us in the playoffs this year. It's just – I I firmly believe that. So, yeah, it's all going to be choreographed. Their pitching is choreographed. Um, it's hard to argue, uh, but that's the kind of guys they hire – they hire guys to pitch that way under those circumstances, those number of innings. And in order to do that, you got to have depth, man. You got to have good arms uh, in the pen. You have to have good arms in AAA, optionable optional kind of guys and arms. And the reason why other other teams can't do that is because their arms aren't that good. And furthermore, the depth of their arms isn't that good. And furthermore, they don't have the team and the base that this team has to, you know, push like last last year. I mean, to win 100 games last year with the group they put out there consistently, I kind of just speaks to the to the method, to the to the machine that they become. Most other teams cannot do any anything near that.
3: That's yeah, a great point to me. The secret sauce of the Dodgers is it's not the money. I listen, it's great to have, yeah, but yeah. it's their player development system. Yeah, and you're right. They keep you know whether it's Bobby Miller or Emmett Sheehan, they've got a ton of guys who've got front of the rotation stuff. They're not there yet in terms of development, but front of the rotation stuff who are, We'll just have to pitch out of the back of the rotation for the Dodgers, which is the perfect way to bring in pitchers. Uh, and by the way, Brandon Gomes, their GM, was telling me that their pitching staff in double A last year had the second highest velocity of any pitching staff in baseball. Uh, that includes major league teams, by the way. Second hardest throwing, now it's in double A. So they've done a great job uh, identifying what I like to think of as good athletic pitchers. And really getting them to their ceilings. I'm not talking about first round guys. It's easy to see Garrett Cole at UCLA and say that guy's going to be a stud. The Dodgers have done an unbelievable job of finding guys, um, even a Tony Gonsolin type guy or or a Dustin May, you know, later in the draft, and really developing those guys and, and maxing them out. And they just keep coming. That's really been to me their secret sauce, the inventory that allows them to keep governors on their starting pitchers. You brought up Yamamoto. I want to talk about him a little more, Joe. You mentioned five foot ten. As you know, in this game, historically, there's been a bias against short, right-handed pitchers. Now, I think it's overblown because, first of all, I think there haven't been that many to begin with, right? I mean, there's not many guys who are that short or who can throw the ball at major league level. Uh, so you're dealing with a short uh, group of – a universe of players of that type anyway – But I look at him, and I see a guy who's a pitchmaker. This guy knows how to pitch. Now, I will caution you, Joe. I I think watching him throw, he reminds me of Masahiro Tanaka. The fastball is going to get hit in the major leagues. He's one of these guys with very flat shoulders when he throws his four-seam fastball. And that was the knock on Tanaka when he came over. And his numbers were very similar, came over at the same age. And sure enough, in the course of his career, and he pitched great for the Yankees. But... His four-seam fastball permitted a slugging of over 600 in the big leagues. So I see Yamamoto very similarly in that the fastball, he can't throw it as much as he did in Japan, but he doesn't have to because his secondary stuff is so good, the big curveball and especially the splitter. Once people see this guy's splitter, I think it's going to be almost unanimous that he has the best split fingered fastball in the game. Better than Gosman, better than Senga. I mean, it's a complete wipeout pitch. But what I like about him, again, like a Musina, a David Cohn, a Tim Hudson, this guy's a pitch maker. He's an athlete on the mound. He's highly competitive. Uh, you know, in an elimination game last year in the Japan Series, he wound up throwing almost, I think, the number was over 140 pitches, just refused to come out of the game, set an all-time record in their championship series for strikeouts. I've seen the competitiveness. I've seen the pitch-making ability. I, I think this guy is just going to be dynamite. I mean, it, the ERA is definitely going to be below three, I believe. High strikeout rate, low walks. And, yes, he'll give up some home runs on the four-seamer. But, again, he's not going to be throwing that 40%, 45% of the time. The secondary stuff definitely
1: plays. Yeah, listen, I uh, again, I know him just briefly from watching him on TV and all the stuff you mentioned right there is absolutely germane. Um, This guy's got good face. (laughs) I I like the way this guy looks when he's out there. Uh, I saw him in an interview. Of course, he wasn't speaking English, but uh, I love the way there's a lot of confidence coming out of this young man. And so, again, not knowing anything really except uh, it's kind of like a a scouting feel, uh, even via television, whatever, video. Ah, uh, man, you, you, you might be right uh, with his fastball. Um, I'm curious to see how that all plays out. But his other stuff is that electric. And um, if the, he gets these hitters so wary about this other stuff, the fastball is going to play even bigger, as you know. Uh, yeah, the the size of him, I remember even as a, we used to run the minor leagues for the Angels for years, and I would uh, write down the average height of my righties and the average height of my left-handed pitchers. And yeah, you're right. I think it was like 6'3", right around 6'3", even back then, right-handed pitchers were at least that tall average-wise. And lefties could be shorter than that, even at that point. You're going to get this real tall, abnormal left-hander, but you you got the the crafty left-hander that was able to survive more easily or readily uh, because of the movement on his pitches, and there was shorter left-handers because of that. In our game today, Sonny Gray, I'm a big fan. I love Sonny Gray. Uh, Stroman, you know, Stroman, when he's – when he's right on, man, this guy's as good as it gets, too. Um, and he's been durable. Sonny's been kind of durable, too, overall. Um, I like where his arm comes out of. I'm talking back to Yamamoto, I like where the arm works from. And that's that's what I'm also basing this off of. I think there's deception in there. i trying to remember Tanaka in my head. If his arm, so that was a little bit higher uh, than Yamamoto, although it could be very similar, Um that to me is going to matter a lot where the, where the ball comes out of to the hitter with him. Cause I think he definitely has, it looks like he's got ability to really ride a fastball above two. Uh, but again, good face. This guy's got good face. And for that and all these other reasons, I believe he's going to have a killer year.
3: Well, it was made possible by <laughs> Shohei Otani. Shohei. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it. I mean, it was a jaw dropping number when we heard $700 million. Uh, and then you find out, well, wait a second. Sixty-eight million per year is being deferred, starting ten years down the road, without interest. So <laughs> he said it at the press conference. And he, listen, we're so jaded in this world, Joe. We 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 think any good deed must be a Trojan horse. Like this has got to be a workaround to the CBT. The Dodgers are cheating the system. Shohei's getting this when we don't see it. No, in this case, it really is this simple. This is a guy who this year will be making $50 million off the field in endorsements. So he has the ability to say, you know what? Defer 97% of my salary 10 years down the road. Nah, don't even bother giving me interest. But he did say at the press conference, and listen, you know him as well as anybody, that he said he did it so that it would help the Dodgers in terms of their CBT number, the competitive balance tax, uh, which now instead of being a 70, is 46 uh, so that saves the Dodgers a lot in tax money and also as Shohei said it allows them then to reinvest that money in other players to make the team better around him and sure enough they turn around and they give Yamamoto the biggest contract in the history of baseball for a pitcher only so you know Joe getting back to Shohei um, I- I'm surprised that I'm not surprised because of who he is to me it's and listen, again, I'm, I'm not trying to say this guy's giving up money because he's got so much coming in, but it was a very humble gesture. That's the way I see it.
1: hundred percent. And, um, when I saw Andrew talk about it, uh, on a, on a clip, whatever, it looked to me like he was legitimately surprised by the offer from Shohei to do that. Originally I, I my first thought was that it might've been an, an, uh, an idea from Andrew to Shohei, but then it all appears to be that show had the idea, and he promoted the idea him and Nez in order to exactly what you just said to ensure the fact that the Dodgers have a much better chance to win now and in the future. Hundred percent. That's he's been saying it all along. Uh, when you're with Show, I'm telling you, man, uh, there's no hidden agenda. Uh, he is he is all about pure intentions, and his main pure intention is to win and to be part of that group. Uh, he's there to support everybody around him. He's, of course, he's going to garner the spotlight. It's all—all all the eyes are going to come to him. But he's, in a way, he's not trying to do that. He's trying to promote everybody else at the same time. He wants to win, to to be able to collect all these accolades and whatever, and this kind of money. Without winning, would be a create a great void in his life uh, as it moves forward. He needs to win a World Series in order to validate everything's done to this point for him internally. I believe. And probably not just one, more than one. And if the first one shows up now, uh, you're going to see in action the next, and I reference this a lot, but the next Michael Jordan or the next Larry Bird or the next Magic Johnson or the next Tom Brady, the way he attacks the season and how you're going to see nothing different in his prep and how he goes about things just because he had won the previous year. After all, I mean, like we've been talking about, He's made as much money as he possibly ever, ever going to want. And he's going to make even more than that. So, even in spite of that, his motivation is still there to play and play hard and to do well. And And he's a level, this comes down to level five. We've talked about all he wants to do is win. He's, he's made his money. He knows he's belonged there for a while. Level four is, I want to make as much money as I can. He's done that. Level three being, I belong here. I can do this. Of course, he's overcome that years ago. But then he makes the money. And now there's only one level left for a guy like Shoei. All I want to do is win. So the Dodgers have that 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 kind of a level of a person as a baseball player for the next 10 years. And I promise you, he's never, it's never going to be where he goes, shows up the spring training that he does not want to just win. That's there. It's embedded. It's it. Take it to the bank. That's who he's going to be. That's who he is. So that's what they got. That's what they got. And there's, there's no... There's no phoniness. It's not a Trojan horse for anything else, man. He wants to win and he's going to show you.
3: Yeah, listen, I I was saying all along, I thought he was going to be a Dodger. I I said that at least for a year, if not more, uh, because I thought the Dodgers could give him everything he wants. They have the money to sign a player like that. Let's face it, not many teams can. Uh, It's it's Southern California. There was no way he was going to be playing for a team that plays in poor weather. Uh, So it was either Dome or Southern California and the, the track record of the Dodgers they've been in the postseason 11 straight years we've never seen show play a postseason game we all feel robbed as baseball fans of seeing the best players in the game play in the postseason and that goes for Mike Trout as well we got in there once and didn't win a game so that's why to me the Dodgers made a lot of sense but i didn't see it coming down this way and, and kudos to Shohei and Inez for running the the uh the free agency they did to offer that up to the LA Dodgers. And I've spoken with some agents who actually are not happy about it because they think, why should a player make it easy on a club like the Dodgers when it comes to a financial commitment? But this is the player. It's like when we talked about this, people in the media criticizing Shohei for not running an open book when it came to his free agency, he's not that kind of a player and he's not the kind of player who's going to get every last drop of of money out of a team. Uh, And again, he's he's doing just fine folks, but, uh, the way he went about it, put it this way, we'll probably never see anything like this again. No one has come close to this. Max Scherzer once deferred half of his salary in Washington with the Nationals, 50%. That had been a record. This is 97% of his salary. It, it's like everything else he does. It's a unicorn of a contract.
1: Yeah, there might be some criticism and all kinds of conjecture leading up to these different moments, whether his signing, how he went about his signing, etc. but- the thing I love about him, and even when he um, left the team that time during the season, everybody was concerned about he didn't talk to anybody, um, he always concludes with a solid reason. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to come back and give you the specifics. So there's there's no, there's no not a whole lot of showmanship going on in order to, to arrive at a certain point. Uh, there's things he wanted to get done probably with regarding the arm surgery and how to do it, who to see. And then he's going to come back. He's going to talk to everybody. The uh, same thing when it came down to his signing. Um, we're going to go through this properly with class and dignity. We're going to treat everybody equally well. And when we're done, we'll come back and give you the reason why we did it. That's what he does. That's it. Should not it should not be a surprise to anybody? That's who he is. It's not manufactured. It's it's not convoluted or whatever. It's just who he is. Uh, we just got to get used to it.
3: Okay. The Dodgers spent one two billion dollars on three players this offseason yamamoto otani and glasnow are they good for baseball we'll tackle that question right after this
0: there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge
2: Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
5: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
3: Joe, I think it's great for the game that the LA Dodgers now are the kind of team that, um, let's face it, they've got a bullseye on them when it comes to the other teams, uh, not just because of how competitive they are and how locked and loaded they are, but because of how they've stepped up with their financial might. And if you're in a market like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, I mean, you name it, St. Louis, even, uh, you, you know, you look at the Dodgers and you say, you know, this game is an unfair game. But first of all, we've talked about the postseason and how that the best team doesn't always come through on the other side. But let's talk about the Dodgers and their payroll, right? Because they're probably going to wind up paying about 33, $35 million in taxes over the luxury tax thresholds. Last year, the New York Mets were way beyond that. They paid a hundred million in taxes. The Dodgers are not breaking new ground here, folks. You got to put this into perspective: that what they're paying on salaries here is way less than what the Mets paid last year.
1: Listen, they they created must-watch TV all throughout the world. Um, is there a game that you're not going to want to watch the Dodgers play? I, I don't think so, um, because you know, Shohei's going to be in the lineup every night, and because of that alone, they're going to want to watch it from sea to shiny sea. And so it's, it's, they've created must-watch TV that everyone benefits from, everybody, every team, every organization, <laughs> again, throughout all the teams in Japan, United States, Dominican, whatever, Venezuela, every baseball uh, entity benefits by this group being put together as they have. It is the Latter-day Yankees. You could talk about the Jeter group back in the day um, that everybody wanted to watch and see and Uh, Could not get enough of. This is that next group. Uh, It is the Beatles. It is all those different things wrapped up in a baseball group. And with that, and I absolutely believe that hundred percent. And that if you are not them, and you're going to play against them, God, you you gotta want to have a piece of them, right? I want a piece of them. It's like uh, George, Mr. Costanza, when he when he was going after Elaine on that last SWAT, the end of that one show. I want a You want a piece of this? Yeah, you want a piece of this. Um, it would be so much fun to have the Dodgers sashay in the town or go to Dodger Stadium and play this group from an opposition perspective. To me, that is beautiful. I would be all over that. I love that concept. I love the idea of having to prepare to to try to play and beat this team. So they're must-watch. Everyone benefits. And if you're on another ball club, other organization, wow. Uh, what a wonderful opportunity you have to go in there and compete against them. And again, that's the if there's a negative to the Dodgers situation, everybody's going to feel that way about them. Yeah. Regardless if they become he- heroes or villains, it doesn't matter. Um, both sides are going to feed them. What's going to feed the other, the opposition is going to be very interesting to see how other teams play against them.
3: It's so much fun to watch this team. I, I mean, yeah. listen pretend you're Dave Roberts for a second, Joe, and you've got three MVPs at the top of your lineup. Would you go bets? Otani Freeman? I mean, you can't lose either way. Right. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. I don't know if you used to do this, but you check with the players and see what their comfort level is, where they right. like to, to hit. I mean, you don't worry about putting two lefties together. Lefties, righties don't matter with these guys. So what are your initial thoughts about their batting order?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. I would, I would like, I would really try to consider it all. I mean, some of it could depend on bets. I mean, if, I know bets a couple years ago was not hitting lefties, correct? I don't know if he, if he changed that around or not.
3: Yeah, that was kind of a one-year anomaly, but it was yeah. extreme to the point where he thought maybe he bringing a, a lefty in the postseason to
1: pitch to him. Well, see, if, you're, if if he's actually like on top of the lefties, it's nice to put him into uh, – make a, a Mookie Bet sandwich between Otani and Freeman because mm. then all of a sudden he's going to see more lefties because of that. If, in fact, that, that would – if you uh, think that would benefit him – because it will not b- bother Shohei to hit leadoff whatsoever. And have uh, bets behind Shohei, I think that provides protection. And again, if uh, Freeman's behind Shohei, even though Freeman hits lefties, I don't know if it provides the same protection for Shohei as a good right-hand hitter would too. So um, I think originally, just, you know, this is uh, extemporaneously just looking at it. Um, I I like the idea of Shohei going first with Mookie's second. It sets him up. It, it could protect Choi even a little bit more. Um, and then and then take it from there, um, whatever comes after that. To me, that would be kind of an interesting way to look at it from the beginning.
3: It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Either way, um, I'm having those three guys at the top of my lineup. Don't overthink yeah, it. Don't, yeah. don't try to find someone mm-hmm. you think is a leadoff hitter. You know, Max Muncy gets on base. No, no. Just have those three best hitters start the game. You talk about pressure on the opponent. Wow. And uh, as a fan, you better you better get to Dodger Stadium early for a change because you don't want to miss the bottom of the first inning with those three
1: guys coming up. Well, even batting practice, I mean, my God, they're going to be selling that, – that's a notoriously a late showing up, early departure ballpark. I'm curious. If it's going to be a little bit different, like earlier show up, a little bit later departure now, uh, when what that does at the concession stands. Um, there's just no telling. The exponential uh, factor is going to be Im- impacted by all of this. Um just based on this group of players alone, I'm again it's it's must watch TV and it benefit benefits everybody uh, and again to play against them, gosh to be in the well actually the division you, know, you the, the game the it's a balanced schedule now but ne- nevertheless, that would be a lot of fun having to prep for this.
3: Hey by the way, I gotta bring this up. Shohei Otani besides all the money he's getting, he's got a Joe Madden clause in his contract. He does. He has a clause in his contract that stipulates that if Andrew Friedman or principal owner, Mark Walter, leave the organization, he can opt out. And that brings me back to you and the Rays and how you wound up in Chicago. And I don't know that there's I'm sure there must be other examples of this, but none come to mind right away with this type of clause specifically tied to personnel in an organization.
1: Yeah, that was my agent, uh, Alan Nero. Put that in there at that time. And uh, Alan, uh, Alan, Andrew and I were very close, and um, we were kind of really in- interconnected tightly in um, the way that organization uh, was formed, and um, on and off the field with the with the Rays. Um, so, but again, that was all Alan. I, of course, I never even thought about something like that. And then when Alan, when Andrew took off, I got a phone call immediately from Matt Silverman telling me that this clause had kicked into my contract. The other member was uh, Matt Silverman. Matt was the other one of those two guys leaving would permit me then to become the, uh, the free agent in time that I, that I became. So with which Shohei, uh, it's all about he, he respects these guys so much. He sees that that there's so much part of that group winning uh, that maybe in his mind's eye, they will not be able to sustain this without those people and personalities in place. Um, don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all that he's, he's thought about it to that level. Uh, again, I didn't think about it to that level. That was all Alan Nero put that together for me, but retrospectively it was, it was right on the money, made all the sense in the world. However, they've done really well since we've all left. I mean, uh, Eric Neander's really picked it up. well. Cashy's done a great job, but there was an interim period there where they had to rebuild too, but that's what it comes down to. It's a little bit of foresight, prescient moment on, on uh, show's part. Uh, but again, I had to, I had to thank Alan Ero for that moment for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you, Shohei man, he misses nothing. Cause right, If you right. sit down and think about it, here he is. He he really is doing the Dodgers a favor. And yes, they they basically fell out of their chairs when he decided, hey, do you guys mind if I defer almost all of my salary? So he did a solid for them, right? Uh-huh. So, but he realizes too that there could come a day where ownership changes hands. And maybe this humble gesture he made by deferring all that money so they can turn it around and and spend it on other players is no longer in play because the next owner maybe wants to put it in his pocket. Mm -hmm. So that's his way of assuring that his intentions are being honored, that if, in fact, there's change at the top and there's no guarantee that someone behind them, either Friedman or Walter, runs the team the same way, he's got protection. I mean, this guy doesn't miss anything. I thought it was a great idea to put that in there. Um, And listen, it was Justin Turner, the former Dodger, when the details of the contract came out with six hundred and eighty million dollars being deferred here. Um, Justin put out a tweet basically saying, well, the next owners of the Dodgers can figure out that how to work it out. And, you know, it was tongue in cheek. I get it. But he's not far from the truth that it's so far down the road that could be the bill for somebody else. And this is Shohei's way of guaranteeing that his intentions are honored as long as, they're, as long as he's there in LA because otherwise he has a chance to get out if things change that drastically.
1: Pretty cool. It is. Again, you're right. Um, I don't know who did the research for him if he did it himself, but somebody's researching for him because he does not, uh, He again, he does not miss a thing. doesn't miss a thing on or off the field. Um, it is very bright on his part. And yeah, uh, kicked it down the road a little bit regarding the amount of uh, when the money's going to be paid off. But he did consider everything, and that's what he does. He always considers everything.
3: One last point, and this is a minor point, but I already start looking at matchups in the postseason. I saw the Atlanta Braves made a trade for Chris Sale in the Red Sox. Uh, my first reaction was, are the Red Sox really checking out? Because I realize the guy's been hurt a lot, but Chris Sale still has potentially dominating stuff. I mean, if you're going for it, you don't trade Chris Sale. But they did, and they get six years of control out of Vaughn Grissom, who could be a good major league infielder slash outfielder. I get it. Uh, But the other thing that struck me was Chris Sale is left-handed. And if you're the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series, you know you're going to have to go through the Phillies, which they have not been able to do the last two years, and or the L.A. Dodgers. And I look at both of those teams, Joe, and in a perfect world, I want dominant left-handed pitching Against the Philadelphia and Los Angeles lineups, you know, F- Los Angeles now with Otani, Freeman, Muncy, Outman. Not to say it's a uh, it's a picnic as a lefty, but given a preference, I would load up on left-handed pitching.
1: Oh, no question, that's a great pickup on your part. I didn't I didn't process all of that, and they already have Freed there too, right? So there's uh, there may be more to come. But a guy like Sale, uh, when he's right, that that arm angle could be devastating. Um, I, I can see the Red Sox giving up on that. I mean, uh, they put a lot of time in with them, a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, maybe uh, you know things didn't, did not turn out the way they had planned originally. So, okay, so let's move it forward. I know the I don't know the young infielder you're talking about. He's an infielder, right? The kid from uh, Atlanta.
3: Yeah, he's probably a natural shortstop. He'll play second base for uh, the Boston Red Sox. They. You know, The Braves did have an idea that he was going to platoon with Jared Kelnick in left field. They actually started having him work in winter ball, gotcha. him some fly balls in the outfield. Gotcha. Really good athlete. Um, hasn't really done much in the short period of time of the big leagues, but he's still very young. Um, and I'm sure the Red Sox see something there that, hey, this guy can be an everyday player for us for the next six years.
1: Yeah, somebody scouted it uh, even before he got there, like even probably out of college or high school, wherever he came out of, and had some kind of a, a liking to him. Uh, with the Red Sox, with their new um, folks in charge, they probably feel as uh, by looking at him, there's different things we can do to possibly make him into the kind of player that we originally thought he would be uh, when we scouted him several years ago. So that's that's what happens in a moment like that. But with Sale, uh, you're, you're right on, I think, with the uh, projection left on left. How do we beat these guys when it gets to the playoffs? And again, not just to talk about the Dodgers, but to include the uh, Phillies in that conversation is pretty right also. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, listen, I'm sale When sales righteous, man. That's, that's like kind of, I don't want to say a poor man's Randy Johnson, but gosh, it's not far off. Yeah, no, he, he, listen,
3: I, if I'm, and the Dodgers, like a lot of teams are like this, you want swing and miss stuff in the postseason, and that's Glasnow, that's Bueller that's Yamamoto and Chris sale when he's healthy has swing and miss stuff. There's no question about that. That's again, Give me a five-inning starting pitcher who misses bats. And, um, and you take it from there with the off days and a full-breasted bullpen in the postseason. One last thing here as we talk about the Dodgers, Joe, they might not be done because when they signed Otani, I was told by a Dodgers source that their next two targets were Yamamoto, who they did sign, and Josh Hader. How about if the Dodgers add Josh Hader to this team? Because I don't know about you, but you know, and I know Josh Hader is talking about Edwin Diaz money, twenty million a year times five years. Josh Hader right now is having a career very analogous to Billy Wagner, and Billy Wagner pitched for a long time the way that he did with that extreme uh, attack angle from the low arm slot, high strike zone, high velo. A lot of similarities there with Josh Hader. Listen, twenty million dollars a year—that that's what the qualifying offer was this year. And there's only a handful of, to me, pure closers in the game. I'm like game-changing closers, just like true aces. There's not 30 of them. Josh Hader is that kind of guy. and You know this, Joe, as a manager, and you didn't have it very often. But when you have that one-inning lockdown guy, that makes life so easy. Everybody just slots into their roles. The formula is set. You know, you don't have the uncertainty of when that bullpen phone rings who's up. Josh Hader is the last piece on that team. It wouldn't shock me to see uh, the Dodgers wind up with him. Listen, I think he's a great fit for Texas. There's some other teams in the mix here that I'm sure will make a run at him. But I think Josh Hader is a good buy. If that's what the number is, if it's Edwin Diaz money, I I think that highly of what a true closer can mean for a team that wants to win the World Series.
1: that's what's going to take, he'll get that from the Dodgers. Edwin Diaz money, he'll get it. Um, He is that good. He's that good. You watch it from the other dugout. Um, it's it's incredibly difficult to, to square up um, lefties and righties. I mean, sometimes I even think that the, the righties, are, it's a more difficult time for the righty than the lefty. At least the lefty, the ball can come flat across the strike zone if you, uh, if you have the uh, propensity or ability to hit the high fastball, um, which some lefties can get on top of like Shohei. Um, you could catch up to a guy like him possibly, but um, wow. Wow. Uh, I definitely see that being. I don't. I don't think that money uh, that Andrew would run away from that money. I think that they would easily pay for that based on uh, you know Shohei's <laughs> uh, willingness to defer. This gives them uh, wow, so many other options they thought they didn't even have before all this started um, last October, November. They were probably not even including Hader in the conversation because they thought it would not be within their reach based on what they had to pay show. But now, because of uh, the, the contract that he did sign or didn't sign, uh, this absolutely opens up hater and I don't think that number is going to be deterrent at all.
3: Uh, I know this that whether they get hater or not, and you talked about this, Joe, that just they're the it team this year, the Dodgers. You're going to want to watch them play, yep, you know, all year long just to see that lineup in action, to see each time somebody goes to the mound with wipeout stuff. Um, they're, they're just absolutely a loaded team. And I think that's great for baseball. It's the fact that they're in Los Angeles and the rich history of the Dodger franchise. Yeah, that adds to it as well. Uh, but it's good for baseball to have a super team like this, whether they win it all or not. We've talked about that. No guarantees, but man, I, I can't wait to see this team in action.
1: It is good for major league baseball. Oh, they're missing is Vince Scully. That would have been awesome. Oh
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I mean, it's, that's another. That's our first edition of the Book of Joe for 2024, whether it's the year of the Dodgers or not, who knows. Mm-hmm. But uh, good to get off the ground here in 2024 and to take us out. I'm sure you got something for us to get us out on the right foot.
1: Uh, I do. I went to Benny Franklin. How about Ben back in the day? Just to uh, really uh, open up the new year with, new season. And he said, Be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors. And let every new year find you a better man, Ben Franklin.
3: Oh, beautiful words of wisdom. Love it.
1: Rock and roll. That's right.
3: Enjoy it, Joe. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks, Tommy. Be well. See you, buddy.
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
1: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.